Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 51 of Bally Sports Miami Miked Up with me, your host, Jeremy Taché. And we are back on the Marlins beat this week with a very special guest, Marlins color commentator Rod Allen. You've heard him for the first time in the booth with Paul Severino over the last week plus, but Rod has a storied career in broadcasting, being in the booth professionally for over 20 years. He was with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's been with the Detroit Tigers and now here with the Miami Marlins with us on Bally Sports Florida. Had a great time talking with Rod. We caught up while he was on an off day in New York in the late parts of last week before this recent series against the Mets and we covered a number of topics on Miami Marlins baseball. I really hope you guys enjoy it. So here's our conversation with Marlins color commentator Rod Allen. And now it is my pleasure to welcome Rod Allen onto this episode of Miami Miked Up. Super stoked to have him here. So, Rod, thank you so much uh, for taking the time on a day here in New York to join me. It's my honor, buddy. How you doing? Oh, man, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm very happy to have you here. We were talking a little bit before we started recording, so I have a feeling I know how you're going to answer this question. What is something outside of the workplace that has recently brought you joy? Well, my grandchildren, because I am in New York and my daughter and her husband and my two grandbabies, they live over in New Jersey. And uh, I was able to see them yesterday and go to dinner with them. And it's nothing better uh, during the regular season because it's so grueling and you go so many different places. But it's a blessing when you've got family around. Yeah, you know, 162 games. There's 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 a a bit of a heavy workload when when you're working in this job. Um, I think any of us, any of us can see that and know that. So when you get some family time, that's definitely a good thing. Um, I'm excited for you that you got to be able to have that during your off day there in New York. But uh, now let's start getting into some baseball, into your career, a whole bunch of different things here. So uh, for those who who don't know, um, Rod has spent many years in the booth doing <laughs> color commentary, doing studio work. You worked for the Diamondbacks in the late 90s and early 2000s. You spent a number of years calling Detroit Tigers games as well. And we'll get into that in just a bit. But you've had your first stretch here in the booth with Paul Severino. Uh, I want to know, what do you enjoy most about working as a color commentator? And what are your goals headed into each game? Uh, what I enjoy most is uh, the enjoyment that the fans get out of the game. And I try to provide those moments for the fans. I try to keep them engaged with uh, different situations that may be coming up in the game, things that they may not know, but things that I know uh, because I've been in the game for four decades. But I have a lot of fun calling the game. I, I like to uh, have fun with Paul. He's a wonderful yeah. individual. I'm enjoying uh, doing some games with him. I think that uh, we have kind of a, uh, hit our sea legs running and we work very well together. Um, I've been told that by several people, they enjoy the broadcast and, I, and I'm having a lot of fun with it, but uh, that's my main goal. My main goal is to uh, make sure that the, the fans have a wonderful experience and they really enjoy the game. And I try to provide moments during the course of the game, which would allow them to think and allow them to uh, understand the game. And, and as far as moving forward, I, I just love baseball. I'm so thankful that the Marlins have given me this opportunity uh, they have welcomed me with open arms, uh, the entire organization. I'm still trying to learn uh, everybody <laughs> at Bally's. I'm still trying to learn everybody with the Marlins. It, yeah. it's, been, it's been an ordeal, man, but, I, but, I'm, but, I'm, but I've dove in and I'm enjoying it. I, I enjoy Florida. I, there's nothing that I have not enjoyed about this gig down in Miami. I'm very, very thankful, and I really enjoy it. 
How cool. That's awesome. I, I'm First of all, I'm happy to hear that. Second of all, when you say, you know, I, I'm trying to give the fans something to enjoy, I'm trying to give them something different there. You know, for me, I've, I've noticed, number one, you guys having a good time and laughing with each other in the booth. But number two, you've done a, 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 a really good job of specifically, I noticed you sort of predicting what pitch will be next, you know, and trying not necessarily to do the sort of Tony Romo thing of like, hey, you guys <laughs> got to see what's coming, but more having the conversation so that fans can try to process, hey, this is how a pitcher is approaching this at bat. This is how a hitter is approaching this at bat. Do you take pride in being able to teach fans bits of the game? I really do. Uh, uh, but it's such a fine line, Jeremy, because you have so many fans out there that are, are that, that know the game of baseball. So you right. don't want to talk down to them. But we also have a lot of really new listeners uh, that are mm-hmm. watching the Marlins these days. And I feel like it's an obligation for me uh, to educate them on how the game should be played, mm-hmm. regardless of the analytics and where guys are and whether guys are trying to do whatever they're trying to do on the baseball field. Uh, the game still is played the same way. And I just try to get fans thinking, should a guy be thinking about a bunt here? Is he going to try to move the runner over here? How is he going to get this runner in from third base with less than two up? Because that's what they have to do to try to win this baseball game. And I really enjoy getting into the game and first guessing because I do a lot of homework and I watch a lot of video and I know exactly what the tendencies are of some of these guys in the big leagues. And every now and then you just get lucky and you throw it out there as to this is what he usually does or he might do this. And it happens because I'm prepared. And, and that's what I've always done. I've always been prepared um, because I've never taken this gig lightly. I love that. That's that's t- tremendous. And, um, you know, when you, when you talk about different types of fan bases, the Marlins are a fan base with a really eclectic group of fans where, like you said, some really young fans who are just now getting into the game and other fans who have been here since day one of the first pitch in the 90s. So it is cool that there are sort of different groups of people that that you're speaking to as a broadcaster, but it is your first year here with Bally Sports Florida and the Marlins. As you said, you're catching up on on everybody. Um, So I would say, what can you say you've learned about either an individual player, a coach, a mindset within the organization that stood out to you as like, wow, this thing is even better than I anticipated. Well, I know that uh, Kim Ng has a bright mind. She's been around a lot of really bright people. And and I think that's coming to fruition at the way that this roster is constructed. And I think the way that we have started to play the game of baseball, these are some of the players that she envisioned doing the kind of work that they're doing on the field, which will allow us to win more games. I know there's been a lot of heartbreak losses, but those are going to turn into W's later on. I love Donnie Mattingly. I played winter ball with uh, Donnie Mattingly, man, back in the in the eighties. We oh, played I in gotta Puerto hear, Rico. I gotta hear we those stories. In, <laughs> we played in Puerto Rico together. We played for the Cagus Criolas, and uh, you know Jose Cruz was our center fielder. The, the Houston Astros, yeah. long time center fielder, and of course yeah. winter ball had lots of really great players in those days. Tony Gwynn uh, was in the league that year. Uh, so really good players all around baseball. We were playing in Puerto Rico together. So Donnie and I have had a really great relationship. I've seen him over the years. As I've been a broadcaster. He's been a manager. We've always shared uh, really kind words uh, with one another. So uh, it helps to have a guy like that that's uh, in charge. Uh, when I got to spring training, I mean, I would go up and start talking to Donnie, and Donnie would give me all the information on all the players. I mean, he was really engaging, and he wanted me to do my job the right way. So yeah. he wanted me to know. So. You know, I really love Donnie. Uh, of course, I love Jazz Chisholm. I love so much about so many of the other players. Uh, uh, John Birdie, I really like talking to him. I love talking to Jacob Stallings. 
mm-hmm. uh, the coaching staff. I mean, I just love picking the brains of all these guys and getting to learn about them and learning not only what they do on the field, but what they do off the field, because sometimes you're going to need to share that with your listeners because sometimes it's not going to be a great game and you might need something to share with them. So, you know, I just try to get to know everybody and I just try to be fair with all of them, but I've learned a lot about the organization. They're really good people. Miggy Rojas, Aguilar, uh, obviously Garcia. I knew him in the Detroit days. Right. Uh, Birdie said he used to watch me when I was broadcasting games in Detroit. Bass oh, cool. went to college in Detroit. So, you know, a lot of these guys are already familiar with me that I'm getting a chance to know now. That's awesome. So cyclically, you guys are sort of able to wrap it up together and, and, and have those moments where, hey, we were watching you. Now you get to sort of watch us. That's that's awesome. Well, and and like you said, there are a number of guys within the organization who are just really bright baseball minds. It's been it's been a joy over the last few years for me as I've sort of started to cover this team to feel that to, to get to speak with some of these players and go, oh, you know, obviously, you're Major League Baseball players. You guys understand this game on, on a whole other level. Um, you know, when it, when it comes to this team, and you mentioned it, sort of, um, there was a little bit of drama a couple of weeks ago. Not going to get into <laughs> the specifics of it. Um, I don't want to get into any of that. We don't need to talk about it any more than it happened. But right after, you know, the team meeting, the infamous team meeting, the Marlins won five straight games. How crucial was that stretch for them? And what do you think that said about this ball club? Well, what it said was, I, I think several guys had to look themselves in the mirror after that meeting that they had that lasted about 90 minutes before the start of the, the Washington National Series. And what I saw in the team uh, was I saw a different energy, uh, the way they came out and played the game for the next five days and have continued to play that way throughout this road trip, even though there's been some very tough losses. The one yeah. in Houston was tough. And, of course, the two uh, walk-offs in Philadelphia, very, very tough losses at the end of the day. But I love the energy that they're playing with now, Jeremy. They're bunting the baseball. Jazz is button for hits. They're moving guys over. When that big hole is on the right side and they're overshifting, guys are shooting that hole. Earlier in the year, they weren't doing that. They weren't right. playing unselfishly. Now they're unselfish. And the way they're playing the game, they're playing some winning baseball. And it's all transpired since that meeting. I don't know what went on in that meeting. <laughs> all I know is the result of the meeting was a different baseball team the last week or so. Baseball is a a very strange sport in that it is so individual, right? It is all about individual performances of pitchers, of hitters up to bat. There's a lot of individual moments. Yet at the same time, your team needs to have that synergy in order to be able to perform. Everybody needs to be in that same mindset. And you're right. We've seen the Marlins sort of come from here. And like you said, those little things, even just like Jazz going to bunt for base hits because it's, hey, I just need to get on base and help the team win. Um, and, and he's just a small example of, of a number of different players who have done little things over this last stretch. Uh, one guy who has been dominant from day one, though, has been Sandy Alcantara. Uh, he, gosh, he is a joy to watch on the mound. Great ERA, great record, but most importantly, he's the league leader in innings pitched. And at the time of this recording, he's running on seven straight starts of seven innings or more. Uh, To me, he's a throwback, thinking of guys like Adam Wainwright, Doc Holliday, Chris Carpenter. And there's another guy uh, who you spent some years watching in Detroit, who we just saw in Houston in Justin Verlander, who I can't help but think of. So what, if any, similarities do you see between Sandy Alcantara, and a young Justin Verlander? Well, from a skill set, uh, they're very similar. I mean, both guys can start the game at about 92, 93 miles an hour. And 100 pitches in, both guys have in their back pockets the ability to dial up and get 100 miles an hour. Uh, both guys have above average uh, 
secondary pitches, Sandy changeup, Berlander the good changeup, curveball, and the slider. There's one difference. I don't see the mean streak in Sandy yet that Berlander had. Berlander was an absolute monster on days that he pitched. I mean, he was that guy that you didn't go around, you didn't look at, you didn't talk to. When he got on the bus, he'd have his headphones on, and he was just looking down. I mean, he was on a mission. Right. Sandy is a little different than that. I mean, Sandy's much more cool, calm, and collected. The most uh, I've seen out of Sandy was the other day when he was upset on the bench and he was patting his glove on the bench. I mean, that's yeah. the most I've really seen him. He's a competitor. Don't get me wrong. He's a fierce competitor, but they go about it in different ways. Mm -hmm. But both guys are ultra talented. I had a chance to watch Randy Johnson in, in Arizona win four straight Cy Young. So Man, I've been I was going to ask you some, about him in a minute. <laughs> I've, I've been around some of the best in the game. I mean, I watched Randy for four years. I watched Verlander for a decade. Every right. start I've watched Matt Scherzer. Scherzer. I've seen Kurt Schilling up close and personal for a couple of years. Sandy's in that same conversation. I mean, when it's all said and done, uh, if he stays healthy, he'll be a guy that we'll be talking about going to the Hall of Fame. That's just how good he is. They're going to start to score some runs for him, and he's going to win a bunch of games. He is ultra-talented. I just love everything about him, the way that he carries himself, the way that he handles the media. He's always around. He's the ultimate professional. He really is. And and it's been, again, so fun to watch him sort of evolve into that, you know, and being around the last couple of years, it's funny you say he doesn't really have that mean streak. I almost view it as like he and Pablo are the <laughs> anti Verlander and Scherzer of like those two guys are just, you know, crazy locked in. We're, you know, staring him through the eyes where Pablo and Sandy are, hey, we'll talk to you on the day of our start. We're good to go. But once we're on that mound, we're locked in. And the thing with Sandy that's been so cool is to see him sort of evolve from that kind guy that we see off the field I almost think for both him and Pablo affected the types of pitchers they were early in their career because they weren't those sort of mean aggressive pitchers and it's been really fun to watch Sandy evolve into that always a competitive spirit but now that ace mentality of I'm grabbing the ball and I want to throw a complete game every single time I'm out there it's a blast to watch yeah, Mel Stoudemire um, Jr., who was a fabulous pitching coach. I mean, I watched his brother Todd uh, pitch, and he was a real tough character when he pitched in the big leagues, too, and a really good dude. But, I mean, when you have a guy like Sandy and, and you're Donnie Mattingly and you send him out there on that fifth day, uh, you know he's going to be out there for a while. He rests your bullpen the day before because you know he's pitching, and then he rests your bullpen the day after because you really have not had to use – all the bullpen pieces that you normally have to use in a regular start yep. because some of the guys aren't giving you that same kind of length uh, as Sandy. But Sandy is the guy that everybody is talking about in the country right now. Uh, not only myself, but several other experts in our sport are calling him the best pitcher in baseball as we speak. So, I mean, that's really, really a lot of praise for this young man. And I've been touting him. Uh, to start the all-star game in Hollywood now for As about a couple of weeks now. And so we'll see. There's some other guys having some really good years, man. Musgrove in San Diego and uh, somebody in L.A. too. But anyway, <laughs> those couple of guys having a really good year. But Musgrove, and I'm going to give him a little run for his money. But Sandy is awfully special. Man. And uh, I'm glad I get a chance to, to watch him every fifth day. I, like I said, I've been so fortunate uh, in that regard to watch some really great players in my broadcasting career. Well, he has been a joy to watch, as you said, and eating up innings like we talked about. And look, at the time of this recording, I believe the Marlins have the least bullpen <laughs> innings pitched of anybody in baseball. That's in large part due to the fact that Sandy's been eating up so many innings himself. But you brought this guy up right at the beginning. Offensively, the standout for this team has been Jazz Chisholm Jr. I mean, he leads the Marlins in, in a whole slew of categories. The only ones he doesn't 
Uh, I believe it's batting average and on base percentage. Garrett Cooper is leading there. Um, I feel like I keep asking this question over and over again to everybody I talk to. But at just 24 years old, just how good can Jazz be? And and other than being one of the coolest guys in baseball with those shades that he's wearing, <laughs> what what is it that makes him so unique? Well, I think it's a swag, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, that's the word that the young kids uh, use these days, <laughs> drip or whatever the case may be, man. I I mean, he's, always, he's always dressed from head to toe. Uh, when he gets on the bus, you can tell he pays a lot of attention to style and detail. Uh, and not only that, on the field, he works his tail off, man, with Pedrica every single day as a ground ball. Uh, Marcus Timms, the hitting coach, he's always hitting. He's always working hard. Uh, he's always doing something to help himself get better. Mm. Uh, at the tender age of 24, Jazz has a chance to be a superstar uh, in this game. He has elite speed. He has power. He has a, lo- a strong throwing arm. He has range. He can hit for average. Uh, he can do everything that you need to do in a baseball game. He just needs to be more consistent like everybody in our sport. You're not going to be able to do it every day. He needs to know when to take over a game, when to try to hit a home run, or when to bunt for a base hit to get on because usually when he bunts for a base hit, that's a double anyway because he's yep. putting a lot of pressure on the opposing team. Kids love jazz. Donnie Mattingly made the comment the other day that uh, jazz has never been to Evansville, Indiana, but there's a couple of kids in Indiana that know Donnie Mattingly that absolutely love jazz. They've never been to a Miami game, but it's the blue hair. And it's what we <laughs> keep talking about in baseball that we want kids engaged. We're trying to get kids back into the game. And jazz is one that's really doing his part because there's a lot of kids running around with colored hair and different things like that. He acts just like they do. I mean, he's 24 years old. He's still a kid. He's having a lot of fun. And I don't think we should take that away from him. Just let him, you got to harness him in every now and then, but just let jazz be jazz and jazz will, uh, he will provide Miami fans with a lot of really special memories for a lot of years to come. And one other thing, he reminds me of a young Eric Davis, you know, Eric Davis who came up with the Cincinnati Reds had that blazing speed. He had those lethally quick hands. He was slim like jazz. He wasn't real big in stature, but he had a lot of power, man. And he had a lot of swag. He, he reminds me a lot of a young Eric Davis. He he won't steal the the amount of bases that Davis stole because that's not part of our game now, Mm. but he definitely has that flair for the dramatic and that kind of power in the way that he plays the game. And he could be a 30-30 guy even this year in just his second season. So it's really, I mean, when you think about that, at the very least a 2020 guy this year, maybe we get, you know, 25, 25, 30, 30. I know Jazz has set his sights there for sure. But like you said, man, it's, it's letting Jazz be Jazz is such a big part of all of this, right? Where that flair is part of what makes him such a dynamic player. Um, that, that flair for the dramatic, being that guy who wants all eyes on him, that's important in in a superstar player that is going to lead your franchise. You want guys who are comfortable stepping up late in games and hitting game tying homers on the road like Jazz did <laughs> in the last week, right? And I remember, you know, you talked about sort of the drip going from game to game. I remember talking to him. He was on our first episode of this show. And the thing that he said that was I god, I loved where he was like, "I want walking into a baseball game to be like walking into a basketball game." You see cameras, everybody's checking out everybody's outfit. Hey, we're an hour and a half out. This guy just showed up to the game. He's got, you know, this style on. We're talking about it on Twitter. He's like, why can't baseball be like that? And so if we're talking about creating stars in the game, Jazz is a guy who we can sort of follow suit. But Rod, I want to go, go back almost 30 years here with you for a second. 
You were a hitting instructor with the Florida Marlins from 92 to 95. So right before the Major League franchise launched and in the beginning years there, uh, you were, at least according to some notes that I saw here, you worked with some fan favorites, including Redmond, Millar, Louis Castillo. Um, before I get into an individual question on Castillo, uh, is there anybody I'm missing that you want to mention here? No, no. I mean, you. I worked with all those guys back in the day. Charles Johnson, Millar, yeah. Billy, Mc, Billy McMillan, Redmond, Amazing. Dave Berg. Yeah, you, Alfonseca was on the team. All those guys. I mean, I, I was Amazing. like a, you know, a, like a father figure to those guys because we're the coach and, you know, we're driving them around in the buses and different things, taking them to eat and different things like that. It's a, it's a huge responsibility when you have really young kids like that that are coming from Latin America that don't know a whole lot about America. And you pretty much have to, you know, make sure they do the right things. Uh, you know, I enjoyed that in my early days with Marlon. Specifically with Luis Castillo, this is the thing we keep thinking about. I keep thinking about, I know off the field there's a bunch of stories there, but I, I keep thinking about him as a switch hitter. And I keep thinking about his splits as a switch hitter. And I think about modern day baseball and how funny it is that Luis Castillo was this like tremendous power hitter from the right side and a slap hitter from the left side. And essentially yeah. in modern baseball, he would never get to hit left-handed. That now, in this game of home run or strikeout, in a way, he would probably never get to hit left-handed. But just how great of a hitter was he in terms of eye, you know, hand-eye control and, and being able to, to, to hit from both sides and ultimately turn into a player who could you know, come near the, the top of the league in batting average? Well, his speed was his biggest asset. I mean, right? let's not get it totally twisted. He could fly. Yeah. Uh, when I got him in rookie ball and I had him in a ball, he could really fly in. Once you got him hitting the ball on the ground from the left side, slapping it past the third baseman, hitting a routine ground ball to the shortstop and beating it out, bunting for a base hit. He knew where his bread was buttered. He knew yeah. how to play his game. He bunted the baseball. He slapped it around. And you're absolutely right. It was the strangest thing when you turn him around to the right side, all of a sudden he become Gary Sheffield. I, I don't know where <laughs> I don't know where he was getting it from, but Luis was so fun to watch. He was a threat to steal. And he went on to have a really nice career, man. But he was super, super talented. He was really good defensively. He had some really quick hands. Uh, Tony Taylor was the infield coach back in those days. And Tony was an outstanding uh, infielder with the Philadelphia Phillies back in the day. I mean, older, older player, rest his soul. But Tony worked really hard with a lot of those guys in infield. And, and Castillo was one of his pupils and maybe his best pupil. And Castillo went on to have a wonderful, wonderful career. It's my view that defensively, other than the Vizquel-Alomar double play combination, the Alex Gonzalez-Luis Castillo double play combination that the Marlins had in 03 and a few of those years is as good as it gets in this century. Like, it was tremendous watching those guys play. Um, I, I will say you worked as a hitting coach, like you mentioned, and we just have a few more questions before we wrap up, but... In working as a hitting coach, and obviously now you're, you're working in broadcasting, but the best hitting coaches, and, and obviously based off of those different types of swings we just talked about of these different guys, are able to teach to each individual hitter and accentuate their strengths. But I want to know if there's anything that you either taught or would teach right now across the board as, hey, these are the little things you need to learn at a young age, whether that's a, y a young hitter that... You definitely need this to be a productive offensive player. Bat control. I mean, I would really teach bat control. When we came up, uh, we played a lot of pepper, you know, where we play, had, you know, you, had, you learned Love how to pepper. handle the bat. You learned how to handle the bat. And I just think in, in this day and age, uh, although I think it's changing, 
you have a lot of guys that are trying to hit home runs. Yep. I mean, that's the swing they're being taught. They're also being told, okay, if you don't hit the home run, if you strike out, it's not the end of the world. Right. And, you know, so you have a lot of guys in the big leagues that are hitting 220 from an average standpoint, but, you know, they're walking a little bit and they're hitting for power. And sometimes that's just what the team wants. But I've always been a fan of a guy like a, Bri- a Bryce Harper, who we just saw in Philadelphia, who is awesome. a bona fide superstar, but with two strikes, he spreads out, he chokes up, he puts the ball in play. I like that kind of guy. I like the guys that try to put the ball in play. That's what I taught as a hitting instructor with two strikes. Don't swing at the breaking ball in the dirt because you shouldn't be the aggressor anymore as far as this at-bat's concerned. He's ahead of you. Now you have to look for a strike and try to put it in play. And there's a few guys in the big leagues that are doing that, but you have a lot of guys that are still swinging and missing with two strikes. And I think once we get back to guys putting the ball in play, we'll have a much more exciting game. I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that cyclically, it feels like we're headed there, right? With some of the rule changes that are coming in next year of changing those shifts up a bit, I think we're trying to get back to that game, like you mentioned, of guys putting the ball, you know, like a Luis Castillo, putting the ball on the ground and running, because there's nothing, I mean, look, you've been at these games, I've been at these games, the most excited folks get at Lone Depot Park are not, most of the time, not for home runs, they're for stolen bases, right? That's one of the most electric things that you can experience in baseball, is a guy trying to get an extra base, stretching things out and laying down bunts like all those things are really fun in baseball and while it's obvious that that the long ball is as fun as it gets hey you know we had those slogans back in the day about the long ball but (laughs) but now in the way that it's become so you know three result oriented you're right adding some of those things to the game and and having back control is is really crucial and um hopefully those those kids playing showcase baseball are starting to get a little a little bit of that back into their (laughs) teaching um but like I mentioned before, we're going to go back real quick before we wrap things up to Arizona and Detroit. I have I have questions about two individual players from each. We'll start with the World Series run in 2001. Those Diamondbacks that win the World Series essentially end uh, the Yankees and the core fours uh, run there of 96, not uh, not 97, 98, 99 and 2000. Um, I want your best Randy Johnson story if you have one. You know. My best Randy Johnson story is not necessarily anything that he did on the baseball field. I mean, you can look up those accolades and yeah. I mean, 300 strikeouts a year. I mean, bunch of innings. I mean, four straight side youngs. I mean, really says it all. I mean, four straight side youngs that I watched every start. But my best memory of Randy Johnson, um, not trotting out of the bullpen in game seven to help us win the World Series after pitching the day before. Man. I mean, those things are remarkable. Was what, what, what he did in New York, we went back there for the World Series. Uh, it was shortly after 9-11. You know, our country was still reeling. Um, we went to the Ground Zero site and smoke was still smoldering. And we took a bus. We took a bus over there. Um, and uh, Randy, with those firefighters, you know, signing those autographs was awfully special makes me tear up just thinking about yeah. it, how how much of a joy they got out of randy that day i can't imagine it's uh you know given the circumstances um obviously really really tremendous of him to be able to go over there and and yeah you know it, we think about the impact that baseball had there after 9-11 with we talk about you know the first pitch that george w bush threw out i remember piazza's yeah. homer with the mets like there were so many moments that baseball really helped heal a little bit after that um and so moving to 
the 2012 World Series that you experienced with the Detroit Tigers. Man, you're just around franchises that win World Series. I think that's good news for us down here in Florida. <laughs> uh, but that that team obviously had that sick pitching rotation we discussed before with Verlander and Scherzer at the top. And man, Doug Fister and Annabelle Sanchez and all these other guys who were there. But Miguel Cabrera and Prince Fielder carried the load offensively. Obviously, we all down here have that local tie to Miggy Cabrera and, and the incredible hitter that he was. So... Is there something about Miguel Cabrera that you think maybe people can't possibly understand about the genius that he was as a hitter? Like, what made him so unbelievable offensively? Well, God gave him more talent uh, yeah, than he gave for most, real. most. I mean, it, I mean, I mean, let's just keep it real. I mean, yeah. the guy, man, six feet five. I mean, two fifty, uh, winning batting titles, uh, a triple crown. Uh, an MVP, uh, unbelievably skilled. And he didn't watch a lot of video like a lot of uh, players do these days. Uh, He kept everything in the head. Uh, He knew what pitchers tried to do to him. He knew what pitchers would try to do to him in any given day. Um, But Miggy was just special and he made everybody better. You look at Victor Martinez's numbers, you look at uh, Prince Fielder's numbers, you look at Jonas Cespedes' numbers, you look at any J.D. Martinez's numbers, you look at anybody that spent any time around Miggy, their numbers were better when they played with Miggy than they were in any part of their careers because he just made everybody better, not only because uh, they get pitched to more, but they also were able to watch him go about his business on it every single day. But what I loved watching about Miguel the most was in batting practice. And, you know, his teammates would always egg him on. It was always toward the end of the batting practice session. And they would want Miggy to uh, essentially play around the world with home runs. So Miggy in five five consecutive swings. And I watched him do this several times in the years that I was in Detroit. He would hit one home run, one swing, right field. Another pitch, right center field then center field, then left center field and left field. And he would do it in five consecutive pitches. That's how skilled Miggy was. I know it was batting practice, but think about it for a moment. This guy could just do whatever he wanted to do with the bat. And he hit some of the best pitchers in baseball. I mean, he could hit Mariano Rivera and he could hit Zach Grinke when Zach Grinke was a Cy Young Award winner guy. Uh, He was just the best. I mean, um, Corey Kluber. He punished a lot of guys in the big leagues. He was just a special talent. I've seen a lot of really great hitters in the game. I watched Barry Bonds for four straight years and and, and, and when he was in San Francisco when he was the best hitter in the game. But, you know, Miggy, one of the best right-handed hitters I've ever been around, for sure. You talk about back control. That guy had back control. Like, that guy is one of the greatest hitters there ever has been and ever will be from the right side. I mean, truly, when you talk about a triple crowned winner, you know, 500 homers, 3,000 hits, there's not going to be a lot more of those that come along. Um, And heck, you know, you talk about feasting (laughs) off of good hitters, man. 2003 is a rookie. He's getting brushed back by Roger Clemens and then hitting a homer the other way. It's one of my favorite Marlins memories. Um, Before I let you go, uh, we will wrap up here with the Marlins. I apologize. We haven't we haven't dove into any of uh, any of your real playing days or playing career. I know Tommy Hutton gave me a hard time for not doing that with him, but uh, <laughs> at least we at least we got the uh, the winter ball conversation with Mattingly. But this this first half has been let's be real a bit up and down for the Marlins. I think that's a fair way to describe it. But regardless of any of those downs, they're still in a position where if they get hot, particularly headed into the All Star break, they can make a run here. So. In your view, what are maybe three keys for the Marlins to have success moving forward? And and do you believe that they can get themselves here within striking distance of, of a wild card? I do believe that they can get themselves uh, in a striking distance of a wild card. First and foremost, they got to get to 500. 
Uh, no one takes you seriously as a baseball team unless you're a 500 team. That much I do know in the years that I've spent in our sport. Uh, the pitching staff continues to have to pitch the way they've been pitching and stay away from injuries. Uh, that would be the starters. And if the starters continue to do that, uh, the bullpen will continue to pitch the least amount of innings in our sport. But they have to start to pitch a little better at the back end of the game. They've given up some home runs on some questionable pitches that have kind of hurt us in some really tight games. And they just need to shore up uh, the back end of the game. Uh, once they do that and the offense starts to click and learn how to win some of those uh, really close ball games as well, I think we're going to have a really fun summer. I really do. I enjoy watching the product uh, that's on the field. This team has been as crazy as this sounds. You know, we talk about getting to 500. They're like six pitches away from being 500 <laughs> right now, right? Like some of these late inning homers, some of these balls that have come up just short on the offensive side. You know, th- this team is not that far off from being what it is that we've talked about, of being there in that mix. Um, and hopefully some of the back end of the starters can start to get healthy, whether that's Jesus Lazardo, any of these other guys that are supposed to be there on the back end. And that offense can get healthy too. get Wendell back get Anderson back and kind of start humming. So it could be a fun summer. As you mentioned, as you watch that, you can watch Rod Allen in studio and in the booth on Bally sports, Florida, whether that's with Paul Severino or with Craig Minervini and the crew, Rod Allen, thank you so much for taking the time seriously today uh, to join me here on Miami mic up. No, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Miked Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.